is such an interesting subject area, this idea of unlearning. And there's so many different avenues you can go down. So I suppose I'll allow you to ask a question to start off with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, first of all, thank you for coming on again. I'm, I'm looking forward to doing the mini-series that we've got planned. And, and this episode will be the first, or I suppose we can call it the second in our little mini-series of, of topics. Um, it's going to be on unlearning, as, as we both know. So for anyone who might be listening, um, this kind of follows on from the previous episode, if, we, if you've listened to that. And if not, well worth a listen, so start there. Um, Unlearning is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because a lot of people are defining it incorrectly at the moment or in your eyes incorrectly. I don't know if there's a, a, a field of thought around this, but I've seen unlearning as forgetting something and losing all knowledge of it. Um, how would you counter that as a practitioner and an expert? I think that what we've seen for a very long time is people's unconscious desire to just want to get rid of things and, and put them underneath the, the rug, so to speak, to hide them away and to imagine they never happened. And what we see when we do that, and it's the same thing when you push things into your unconscious as an individual, they go into your shadow. And when you toss aside these different parts of yourself, even though you might not see them immediately, and even though you might do that in order to please the group, they always reappear. Mm -hmm. They will always manifest themselves again. And we're seeing that on a global scale. We always try and hide things under the rug, pretend like it never happened and move forward. And even though the necessity to move forward, there's nothing wrong with that. That's obviously we need that. But the manner in which we approach moving forward is everything. So what we're saying is rather than forgetting, the definition you would give for unlearning is you know, learning from it in order to move forward or changing your relationship with a bad behavior in order to move forward positively? Every, every behavior, everything that happens in life has some level of purpose. Obviously, there's different degrees of purpose and there's different degrees to which it manifests itself in the behavior. But it always exists for a reason and usually it's there to protect us. We usually think it's the right thing to do for either ourselves, the people around us, or for the communities at large. Unlearning, in a sense of just trying to forget, means that you're not going to take any of the lessons with you. And we have to see it as, well, we're standing on the shoulders of the generations that came before us and before them and before them, and before them. And if you look at it from an evolution standpoint, we're standing on the shoulders of all of that failure, all of that death. <laughs> That's what evolution is. Things die out so new things can come forward. But they don't just die out and new things emerge. They die out gradually through the lessons that are learned and the adaptations that occur. So for me, it's about coming face to face with the unconscious driving forces for a person's behavior, for my own behavior, looking into that mirror and questioning through self-inquiry, is this the sort of behavior that is gonna be sustainable? And the difference between, I suppose, being locked up in a memory and being unconsciously driven by something and wisdom is that you detach yourself from the emotionality and you keep the lessons. So what we need to do is detach ourselves emotionally from tradition, from the ways we think things should be because of some sort of 
structure of play that tells us it's the way, detach ourselves emotionally, process that detachment, process that trauma, that loss, that grief, but then take the lessons, understand the, the key principles, the foundational elements of what got us into this place in the first place and grow from that. I think it's interesting because it's kind of the long way of putting everything happens for a reason, I guess, because what we're basically saying is everything that happens to you, good or bad, if, if you process it in a, in a positive and structurally sustainable way, it will improve your life in the long run. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you have a horrendous trauma or whether you achieve something great, you can use them both equally in just in different ways. 100%. Yeah. There's no such thing as failure. The only failure is giving up. Mm -hmm. And unlearning in the mindset of give it up, let's move forward. That's a failure. <laughs> yeah. It's just saying that we don't want to take anything that's happened before. We just want to do it the way we think is right. No. That, <laughs> there's centuries of lessons. There's centuries of learning to take on board here and look at the foundational elements of it, detach yourself from the emotionality of it and just pick up, delineate the patterns, understand the whole, the context, get back into your body and be compassionate and empathetic to the person next to you and listen to their opinion. And all of a sudden we go from this kind of outdated and quite toxic hierarchical structure that means that the top forces are going to tell everyone what to do. And perhaps we start working from the ground up the individual's experience and how well they can communicate that to the people around them. And then understanding that that perception of life has come from all of their experiences in the past and all of their ancestors' experiences. And to just try and throw it aside, to me, is just avoidance. So for people listening, how... Because I know why we're talking about this, right? I, I get why this is going to be important in the next few months. But for people listening, why is this such a pertinent thing to be thinking about now? Because we've started to see how fragile the system is. Mm -hmm. We've started to see how change is inevitable. And if the systems are rigid, if everything is too tight and restricted, as soon as change comes which it always will do, because life is change. If the system is not flexible, if it's not self-organizing, which means that it's integrated, right? All the different parts are linked together through a commonality, which could be compassion. It could be integrity, could be respect. If all those different parts come together through commonality, they integrate, it becomes self-organizing. And so the system can adapt and evolve through experiences and the reason why it's become so important and another way of saying it's become so important is that it's become apparent in people's awareness it's the main thing in people's consciousness it's because it's, it's here it's happening and unfortunately we have a very <laughs> immediate outlook on life we're very reductionist we look for the run the one reason and we don't think too heavily about context and without thinking about context, all of your decisions are going to be based on immediacy, on gratification, on immediate feedback. But systems don't work that way. 
systems don't always give you immediate feedback. Sometimes it takes a while to get a feedback from a system. I'm sure you've experienced that with your, mm-hmm. your company. You implement something and you don't see it for a little while, but then boom, it appears. And that's because you think about the context, the time scale, and also obviously everything that's going to happen in between all that. <laughs> Do you think then that people are thinking this way or is it's a natural human reaction to think this way when something bad happens? Because... Mm-hmm. Basically, right now, everyone's looking for a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, they're, they're basically, we're all sitting here, you know, probably you and I included, sitting here going, right, what is the light at the end of the tunnel? We just want to get back to normal. The fact is, there's not going to be another normal, really. It's, it's what people are kind of cheesily coining the new normal. Um, yeah. But it is true, and it's it's not happened on such a global scale in any of our living memories or anyone who's listening to this. So I suppose... The advice we're, we're giving is, yes, okay, everyone's looking at the light at the end of the tunnel. That's that's inevitable. But what's more important to be thinking about is what happens after? You know, what, what is your life going to look like? And I think this is on many levels, but if we break it down into two levels, in terms of a personal level, and then there's a much bigger, you know, global level, and you don't have to be running a company or leading anyone to sit in both of those um, areas. Because if you think about it in a personal level, you need to see how your life is going to change day to day, you know, when you're allowed to go out, out of your house again and meet your friends and family. And then on another level, your work life and the external environment is going to change dramatically. And it's how you, as you said, act with compassion and make sure that the people around you are comfortable and supported. Um, w- would you kind of agree that's <laughs> that's my um, fairly unexpert analysis of the whole thing? But, um, but I'll, I'll hand over to the expert. Well, I, I, um, the only thing that makes me an expert in inverted commas is the fact <laughs> that I've gone through some very turbulent times in my life and yeah. I managed to find something within those experiences that brought me back to life again and it allowed me to create something which is now doing reasonably well. Um, I think what you said is completely true. The main thing I took from what you said is, yes, there's a global aspect of what's going on, And if we get ourselves too caught up in it, then we're almost giving our power away too much, right? We have a circle of influence and a circle of concern. Mm -hmm. The circle of concern, if we put too much energy in there, it becomes bigger and the circle of influence becomes smaller because you've lost a lot of energy focusing on things you can't control. So as, as an individual, the thing you want to perhaps think about is how can I lay down the conditions in my life for my mindset to become much more flexible and adaptable? which would involve some sort of reflective practice. Learning how to map out meaning in your world in an empowering way takes practice. It takes unlearning. You unlearn the habits of perhaps vegetating at the TV, and you unlearn that by looking at the behavior and thinking, what purpose does that serve? You can do it from time to time, I do it, but every day, Right? What purpose does that serve? Is that because you're being entertained or is that because you're being avoidant from the situation? So once you look at what's driving that behavior, then it permits the opportunity for a conscious decision to be made. And that conscious decision could be, I'm going to reflect on how I did today in this new environment. I'm going to reflect on all of the different elements of the systems in my life and how I might optimize those systems. And all of a sudden, you're focusing your power, you're focusing your energy 
on the things that you can influence in your life. And you do that enough, you're laying down the conditions in your world for your mindset to become strong, to become adaptable, to become self-organizing. And then you attain or you entertain these global ideas with much more fluidity, with a stronger level of mind. Well, the interesting thing, you talk about circle of influence and circle of concern. The circle of influence is actually with the people now. I mean, when I, when I say people, I mean, uh, in example, for an example, um, if you're in a company, the circle of influence is actually growing in your employees because what everyone's had time to reflect on is that actually working from home and having a bit more flexibility in your working day is a good thing in many cases. Certainly everyone I've spoken to, there are elements of good and bad, but there's certainly been a stronger case for working from home. And I think if leaders don't realize that their people have a bigger influence now on what their working day should look like, it will be quite damaging. And on the flip side, if they do realize it, they could improve their businesses and improve their working relationship with their staff and their clients massively. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that if anyone listening to this is either one an employee, it's I think they really need to take note of the fact that your circle of influences has increased, and you are in a position to slightly dictate, maybe not dictate, that's the wrong word, but but influence more heavily how your workplace looks in the future. Um, and good leaders will recognise that, and there will be big changes made because of it. Hundred percent. And I've been speaking to one of my mastermind groups that I do work with some of them are team leaders some of them are in executive leadership teams Mm -hmm. and it's fascinating to watch and hear how it's the same playground dynamics being played out on a much more bigger and grown-up scale yeah it's fascinating and if there's anything that we need to unlearn in inverted commas and the reason why we are looking at this concept of unlearning is not to say it's not necessary, very much so, but if we conceptualize unlearning as just forgetting, we've missed it. Mm-hmm. If we conceptualize unlearning as a process of inquiring for lessons that need to be learnt and moves that need to be made, then we're going in there with a level of authenticity and courage, and perhaps we'll find clarity. So the biggest thing for me to unlearn in the corporate setting is this kind of egoic game that seems to be played out. It was played out at school, right? Mr. Popular would get all the girls and it would be a status battle, right? Just a little power battle played out between this community of young people. It's the same thing in most boardrooms. It's just a status battle. It's ego. It's just ego. And we can't go anywhere with the same level of mind we had at school. A big part of unlearning is forgetting all of those status games, however intoxicating they are, and growing up a bit. Do you think unlearning can be also for, not necessarily what people would consider a failure, but also for a positive skill? Because one one thing I've learned over the years is that I've met a few people who have succeeded in everything they want to do. So, I mean, for example, I was watching TV last night um, and it was SAS Who Dares Wins. And there was Tony Bellew, who's a, he was a world heavyweight champion. He achieved everything in his life he ever wanted to achieve, but then just gave up at the end. Once he'd achieved everything, he just stopped. 
And he was having some serious mental problems because of that, because he felt like he lost his purpose. So in that respect, unlearning can also mean succeeding. It's like you said, the giving up that, that is a failure. It's the mindset needs to shift towards it being an ongoing process of learning. And that's all we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Like we are so hardwired to be seeking an outcome in the future. And even though it's good to have your bearings and it's good to orientate yourself, we are orientating creatures. Mm -hmm. Once you can orientate yourself towards a, you know, a heaven of some type, then it's about what am I doing in the present moment? And then you're becoming much more process orientated. The reason why some people who are seeking you know, riches or status or power, an abstract thing in the future, when they get it, it's never good enough. It's because the whole way there, they were thinking into the future. And so they've built a mindset that's just future focused. And so when they get to this future, which never comes because you can't get there, it never feels good enough. And so for me, a big part of my process was learning how to balance between being future orientated towards a goal, a vision, it's probably more appropriate, having that vision in the future and then learning the skill set of being present and being attentive to what needs to get done. Because when you're attentive to the present, you're getting lots of feedback that helps you do things much more congruently to life. I think that's a really interesting concept that a lot of people will have come across, actually. Um, the whole idea of achieving something and it never feeling satisfying or it's, it's feels satisfying for a very short period of time um, is obviously we want, you know, that's, that's both a good and bad place to be because some people can get to a point where the feeling of never being satisfied or never being comfortable is what drives you forward. Right. And if you can never get to the destination, then you can never truly fail because if you don't give up, you carry on going. However, the flip side of that is, a massive feeling of unsatisfaction can cause all sorts of problems, you know, like overworking yourself or maybe greed. Is there a balance to be struck between the two? And, and if so, how, how is that done? I believe this is, this is quite cool. This line of inquiry we've gone down. Um, I believe people that are truly satisfied in life and they really find meaning, they are trying, they are trying to step towards the greatest expression of themselves, mm -hmm. knowing that in the manifestation of that expression, they will be a magnet to the life in which they want to experience. And the vision is to become the best version of myself. And along the way, you pick up a mission, which could be a company or you know an organization or a partnership. You pick that up along the way because you've resonated with it. You've pulled it into your field of experience. And that becomes something you're aiming towards together. But every single day, the process is, how do I bring forth the faculties in myself to go to where I want to go, to embody my values, and in doing so, manifesting divinity? Because all that that's all it is. It's just an embodiment of the deepest characteristics of your truest self and bringing it into life. And life will respond in kind. And I believe that people who are truly fulfilled, 
they're not trying to attain something in the future. Obviously, we all have that part of us, right? It's a habit we all need to unlearn. But only by looking at why it's actually there, arguably the capitalist system, arguably all of the systems that have come before us have pointed us towards a future destination and we've become addicted to that mindset. But ultimately, we need to bring ourselves back into who we're becoming now. And how can I step towards the best version of myself every single day? And that doesn't have to be productivity, productivity. <laughs> no, that can be stopping, reflecting. How are the systems in my life interacting with me? And how can I perhaps create more harmony in those systems so that life flows a little bit more effortlessly? And when it's not flowing that way, that's the time to stop and reflect. Is this system, is the way I'm behaving in this system, right? And however you judge that rightness is your own metrics, it's your own ethics, your own morals. The only way to find them is to reflect, is to find yourself in so many words. Yeah, and, and you know, just to clarify, what we're saying is there's nothing wrong with having vision and looking into the future but just don't do it without assessing where you are in the present is that is that sort of what we're, what we're saying yeah um i've got i've got a big old vision for the future <laughs> yeah of course I, i've and I'm, you have as well we're not saying that it's like you can have the vision for the future but you don't base your happiness on the attainment of the vision mm-hmm. you base your happiness on who you're becoming now yeah what you're interacting with within your immediate space and the manner in which you are bringing attention into the world and in doing so, changing the world in which you attend to. And I suppose the other thing we need to unlearn, possibly, well, definitely a lot of the time, is getting excited about taking on new adventures. A lot of people are going to be in the position now where we have had a period of reflection and a period of challenge and all of that stuff. And there's now an opportunity to do something different. You know, a lot of the time, whether it's business or personal, I mean, certainly for myself, I've, I've completely changed a lot of the practices we're doing with the business. I've got into some, you know, it's, it's garnered some new opportunities. But then on the flip side, whether it was some sort of mad quarantine delusion, we bought a dog and we finally went ahead with that, you know. And, and it doesn't matter. You know, what I'm trying to say is it doesn't matter whether it's a personal thing or a, or a work thing. It's just such a fulfilling thing in the present to just go out and do those things. And we spoke about the hero's journey, didn't we, in the last podcast? And it's very much a case of unlearning that straight path, as you said, that we've learned over many centuries that's been sort of ingrained into us and learning to occasionally take a little detour. And and even though that may end up as a, what many people will consider a failure, um, as long as you learn from it, you're still going to be succeeding in your overall vision and in your overall path and happiness. It's only going to be perceived as a failure if you're, ex- if you're externally motivated, mm-hmm. if you're motivated by the external environment, by the results you're getting. Intrinsically motivated person is only concerned with who are they becoming and how are they acting, no matter what's happening in the outside world. And I'm not saying I've attained that. My God, I wish I had. But that is the sort of thing that I'm aiming for. Because as we can see, 
everything changes and it can change very quickly. The only thing that you can ever keep as a stable is who you choose to be no matter what. I think the learning process, it's good to be, as I'm sure you'll agree, somewhat extrinsically motivated by, but only to reward yourself. So if you reach a goal and someone says, well done, you know, we're not saying that you should ignore them. <laughs> I think, you know, it is like a bit of a mental Shangri-La to get to the point where you can intrinsically motivate yourself completely. Um, and I suppose that the advice is to try and detach yourself from the idea of, you know, these external rewards being the key to your happiness. That's it. Yeah. That's right. And that is the way to balance it is realign the structure, realign the hierarchical structure in terms of the way you are perhaps creating yourself rather than it be the top one is the house, the car, the bank account, rather than that being the top one, why not make the top one who I am and who I'm becoming and all the things that come along the way are nothing more than a repercussion of that. The house, the car, all that sort of stuff, they should be, in that respect, used as markers. And it's okay to use them as markers so that you can believe yourself that you're reaching those goals one by one. Yeah, that's, that's a very good way to look at it. It's feedback. It's feedback from life saying that your systems and the way that you are operating in the world is, is good. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep going that way. But the, what we're talking about is, I suppose, in one way, where you're choosing to identify yourself. Do you wish to identify yourself with impermanence, which is an unconscious thing we all do and we've done for a very long time? Or do you wish to identify yourself with the eternal qualities of the universe and life, which is the values, which is becoming who you could be? And every single moment, no matter what's happening, what does your value say about how you should act? If it's a devastating experience, who do you need to be? If it's a great experience, can you bring forth some humility? If I wanted to start, start on one of these journeys tomorrow, are there any simple things or simple techniques people can be using to, to start that journey? Yeah, yeah, there are, definitely. I like to think of beliefs and values, my sense of identity, all the kind of motivating forces that are driving my behavior as these individual threads. And these threads become interwoven over time and they become like this tapestry. And the tapestry, you can imagine, is just unfolding itself in my life. And the way it's unfolding and the direction in which it's unfolding is not only dictating my moment-to-moment -moment experiences, but is guiding my direction forward. So the question becomes, how do you get into the tapestry to look at the threads and perhaps angle them in such a way or nudge them gently in such a way that the tapestry unfolds in a bit more of a fruitful direction? And the answer to that, like I've brought up a few times, is reflection. The unexamined life is not worth living. It's a very famous quote from Socrates, I believe, a Stoic quote anyway, I'm not sure if it's Socrates exactly, but it's a Stoic quote. And the reason it's so powerful is because he's saying 
that if you don't look at those forces that are driving your behavior, then you will be manipulated by forces that are way bigger and out of your control. And unfortunately, the powers that be, the news, they play on fear circuits in the mind, in the brain. They play on that. They try and keep us in this limited mindset because it means that we can be you know, manipulated and pushed in certain directions. So to reflect on what is actually creating you, in effect, allows you to come face to face with those forces. And that's the process of unlearning. That's where it starts. Coming face to face with the processes that are creating your sense of self and then developing a new relationship with those forces. Not one of fear or frustration, right? Because those forces are the ones that drove your ancestors and have done for a very long time. So coming face to face with those forces is coming face to face with your humanity, coming face to face with your dads, your granddads, your grandmothers. And if you can go into there with love by learning how to cultivate compassion within yourself through meditation, through the empowering habits, through learning how to bring yourself into the moment, coming face to face with those forces will gradually start to create a different relationship with those parts of yourself. And through time, through experience, and maybe a bit of grace, which we could argue comes when you embody a value, liberation. The unlearning process has happened and you've kept the lessons. And all it is now is wisdom. And I think just to tie this in as well to the last episode we did together, the simplest way to start building new relationships with behaviours is kind of answering that call to adventure rather than with fear, but with um, excitement instead, isn't it? It's, it's the whole idea of, I think last time we, we gave the task of writing three things you've always wanted to do. And it, it fits perfectly into what we're talking about because everybody's going to have to change the way they live their lives in some respect, some more than others. Um, and if, you know, the simplest thing we can all do, and I know it's, it's really benefited me, which is why I'm sort of bringing it up, is pick three things that could be completely unrelated that you've, you've really always wanted to do and attach markers to them. So like we've said, if there's a certain reward, so maybe it's get, that, get the promotion you've always wanted to get, right? The simple one that everyone always thinks about the reward is getting it and maybe getting a little pay rise or, or some sort of bonus, but that isn't the thing that makes you happy. The reward should be that you've added that thread to the tapestry and then you should move on to the next one and, you know, and replace that thread with a new one. And if I honestly really believe that having three things, maybe a personal thing and two work things or just three completely unrelated things that you want to do constant in your life gives you so much direction and so much focus. And, I, I personally find it find it quite fulfilling. Um, I, I don't know what your thoughts on that are. I think that's an amazing approach. Three things, the power of three. You can do them in the morning. Mm-hmm. So most important tasks of the day should get done in the morning because that's when you're kind of most alive. That's when you're most disconnected from the narrative, the drama of life. Morning routine is, is, it is vital because that's you obviously setting yourself up for the day and you're starting to see the importance and the power of that. And although there's often there's elements in us that thinks, why should I have to do it this way? 
I don't want to be, I don't want to be told by some sort of health guru, you know, on the internet that I need to wake up and do this or do that. <laughs> it's like, well, no, that's not the point. You have to find the activities that work for you that bring you to life. And by bringing you to life is going to spark your curiosity. And when you drive that curiosity towards something that is beneficial for you and everyone around you, then your life becomes ultimately more passionate, more alive. What I think people find really confusing about this, because speaking from personal experience, where it's almost the most ironic thing about the health industry is that people are always telling you not to follow structures that are put in place for you and to find your own structure. But then on the flip side of the coin, they're saying it's a good idea to do this, this, and this, you know, to meditate, to do something spiritual, to reflect, to, to visualize. And actually in itself, that comes across as a structure that someone else is telling you to do, which, which I think is why a lot of people who first approach the industry and first approach the idea of mental well-being they kind of struggle with it because it's it's almost contradicting itself in many ways isn't it yeah yeah i completely understand that that hesitation it's this ingrained problem we have with misguided authority and if you've managed to find some misguidedness in the message that's being sent your way you're automatically going to think nope not listening but I suppose me trying to stand up for the industry in some ways is that the practices that are being promoted are in their nature self-inquisitive. So yes, okay, do this activity, but the manner in which you do it and what comes up in the experience is your experience. It's nothing to do with anyone else. And so adding those activities into your day, which are naturally more reflective, naturally more realigning, naturally more embodied will open up new faculties in you that you don't even know exist. From a neurological standpoint, the more you bring your energy back into your body, your nervous system extended, the more your right hemisphere is going to become activated because the right hemisphere has more interconnected fibers to the, to the body. And when it becomes more activated, it obviously becomes more active. And when that happens, the way in which you're processing the world can become much more context orientated can become much more about relationships you're no longer trying to reduce things to one singular cause which is totally against life life is systemic you're now more concerned with the relationships between the different parts and how they are creating a whole i think yeah and, and i think by the way that it's not necessarily um an industry problem i think certainly from my marketing background it's actually the marketing problem because the, the way traditionally that we sell anything is you take all of its good points and tell people you need to buy into this because of all these good things that it will give you in return. Yeah. So it's actually our fault. <laughs> but it doesn't work for the health industry as we've sort of established at all. It's got to be something like you say that it just needs to be a point that raises someone's curiosity. Yes, yes, yes. Beautifully said. I'm speaking to one of our corporate partners at the moment and just like every other company, they're a little bit unsure, uncertain of how to open up the dialogue around mental health and the presuppositions, the foundational things that are in place for their actions are ideas like we just have to do it, 
right? If someone looks and there's nothing there, we're going to get in trouble, right? Or just let's just tick some boxes. And that is going to be felt so strongly because those messages, the presuppositions, come through implicitly in the way that sentences are structured, in the tonality of the voice, in obviously the activities that are brought, bring, brought forth. The better strategy is to say to yourself, this is new for us. We don't really know what we're doing. All we're going to say is we're going to take it slowly. We're going to be gradual because the idea that a company or a collection of leaders can solve your mental health issues is an insult because you've managed to do it up to this point. So to have someone intrude in the way that you are managing the world is rude and unnecessary. So the better thing to do is to perhaps show your employees that you're not trying to fix them. You're just trying to create a dialogue. You're trying to show them that you see them, that you see their effort and you've got their back. And that is felt, that's, that's never said, right? That's felt and it's felt through those presuppositions for moving forward. Yeah, it's so relevant, isn't it? Because this is going to happen on a, ma- on a mass scale over the next, I don't know what, we, what we're calling it, three months, six months, two years. It's one of the most popular topics they can possibly be. And thankfully, we've already opened the door on mental health in the last couple of years, and which is even surprising in itself that it's taken that long. Um, but yeah, I think there's this topic, it can be no more relevant than now. And there's, there's not much I can say about it without giving, <laughs> giving, yeah. up my, giving up my ideas to people because, you know, it's taken me a long time to build up this level of understanding of how to create that dynamic in an authentic, loving, compassionate way and to do it in a way that's actually going to be fruitful. Yeah, sorry, everyone. This is a free podcast. So if you would like to speak to Tom, I'll put his phone number in the post. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What I would say in that regard is that just like when you're starting any therapeutic relationship, you don't go straight in for the jugular. You don't just go into the, the, the wardrobe and find the, the darkest, oldest skeleton. You don't do that. The first initial sessions, or however long it takes, is all about building rapport. It's all about building trust. And you build trust and rapport through ruptures and repairs. But you don't go in big because the, the rupture could be too big and it can obviously fracture the relationship. So the willingness and the courage to just try in a way that is built on the correct presuppositions will be felt in that way. You'll get feedback that says, don't like that, like this. The rupture's there. It's like, well, let's repair it by responding to the survey, to the feedback, to the questionnaire, however they get their information. And from there, all you're trying to do is be open with the dialogue and, and just be as inclusive and accessible as possible, which is becoming increasingly more doable with the quality of these platforms we find ourselves on. Well, and the other thing is as well, you can do this yourself, right? If someone's listening right now, 
you can do this through the relationship with yourself. And it's not necessarily, you know, what we're saying is it doesn't necessarily mean finding the biggest problem in your life and saying, right, I'm going to give myself two weeks to solve it and here's the reward. That that problem is actually not one problem. It's a collection of smaller problems. And it may just be that you need to solve not watching TV for four hours every night and go for a walk or something. And it's actually solving those tiny incremental problems that eventually lead you to solving the big one. And you might not even notice solving the big one because everything happens over time. That's it. It's a gradual process. It's a gradual becoming. Kindness is not an outcome. Kindness doesn't expect anything. It just gives. Kindness is a process. So can you give yourself the time you need to just be? Just be. Not to have any distractions or any kind of, you know, stuff coming into your field of awareness to keep you regulated. Can you just be? Meditate. You know, you don't have to close your eyes and find a mountain. You don't have to even, you know, do anything. You have to sit down. You're just in your reflective space watching what's happening. And then can you find time or can you find space to reflect? So asking yourself, what does all this mean? What am I doing to trip myself up? What can I do to empower myself? And then can you give yourself the resources that you need to move forward? Time, space, resources. Like optimize those different things, you'll be flourishing very soon. I think the other thing as well, there's a lot of connotations around words like meditation. But meditation could be anything from, yeah, okay, you could sit on the sofa mat and we legs crossed wearing a robe, <laughs> which many people may assume that that's what meditation is. Or it could literally be, you know, you could get out of bed and sit for five minutes you know instead of opening your laptop immediately just sit for like even 30 seconds and think about what your day's going to look like and it is that reflection it, it doesn't necessarily mean sitting cross-legged with your eyes closed it's just pausing isn't it it's just a pause because I had to learn this I always thought I was I couldn't <laughs> I tried the more traditional meditating and I, I just couldn't do it I just found it so difficult but when you told me to forget the idea of it being meditation and think of it as a visualization. I got it because I'd done visualization in sports and stuff like taking a kick at rugby, for example. So I got it. And I think a lot of people maybe just need to find their version. There's lots of different types of meditation. What we did together was a guided meditation for the idea of kind of building a bit of clarity with where you will go next. Mm -hmm. and all the different characters you meet along the way have significance for you, then you need to reflect on it. Meditation, translated from Tibetan, means to become familiar with. To become familiar with yourself, an idea, you know, different parts of your experience. You're just becoming more familiar with this thing you've chosen to focus your attention on. There's lots of different types, but the main categories are focused attention meditation, where you focus on one thing, could be your breath, could be your feet, could be an idea, a goal, a vision. Open awareness meditation, which is you being open and aware of everything that comes within your experience. Open monitoring, also known as mindfulness. And then there's generation or generating meditation or cultivating meditation, which is where you're cultivating a state of being. And you can focus your energy on your heart, for example, 
and where your energy goes, that's where your life is. So all your life force is in your heart. You imagine that space growing. Maybe you focus someone on someone in your life that you love very much. And all of a sudden, you're going to start feeling this, this rise of energy. Right? Your nervous system is upregulating itself into a higher states of consciousness. And it's a great way to learn how to self-regulate. You don't need Netflix. You just need your breath, your body, and some time and space. Yeah, and I think it's a beautiful way to sort of wrap this up because we're we're about at our limit now. And I think, you know, that is the best way people can start unlearning things. And and just to kind of tie all this together, the best thing what what is the best thing someone listening could go away and do right now? Make a dedicated decision that no matter what happens in life, I'm gonna learn from it. And make it at such a degree that it totally washes out all the other things that have come before, that you're now going to become a learner. And a learner's values have adaptability, flexibility, discipline, courage, intelligence at their heart. And embodying that as an identity and making a decision to go forward into life in that way is a very powerful thing to do. I'm gonna be a party. I'm gonna be a party. I'm gonna be a party.